Luke chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 16. The power of belief and the power of unbelief. So we have a choice today. Do we choose to believe God and trust in God, or do we choose to not believe or to fall into the category of un- unbelief? Sometimes I think pastors uh, preach more uh, a sermon for them than they do maybe for their congregation. This is a sermon for me. I'm, I'm like the guy that said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I think all of us struggle a little bit with that point, that point of faith, that point of trust. I know that um, very much an empiricist, I like to see things. I like to touch them and taste them, feel them, hear them, and then walk on out and, and experience. But, you know, God's just the opposite. He says, believe in me, trust in me, even though it does not really compute. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you right now, but believe and trust and watch what I will do. Jesus is in church this day like he was every Sabbath. Uh, it was his custom uh, that the Lord went to the synagogue wherever he was in that particular city. This particular day, he was in Nazareth, which, which is so important because that's the very town, the very place where Christ was raised by, by Mary and Joseph and his brothers and sisters. They were all in that area of Nazareth. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, Jesus found the place in Isaiah where it was written. And I'll tell you where it was written. is Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, almost verbatim. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of living God. Here it is. He says, Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel. Uangelizo is the Greek word there. It means to evangelize. He has called me to evangelize to the poor. He has sent me to heal the sun trebo, the brokenhearted. That word brokenhearted, listen to this carefully, church. It means to be pulverized. It means to be crushed. It means that you're out of hope. And Jesus said, nice to meet you. You're the reason I came. I came so that your hopelessness could be turned into hope, that your joylessness can be turned into joy, that you're no peace, you could have peace. The Spirit of God is on me, Jesus said. He's anointed me to preach. He's anointed me to heal. He's anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to open the sight, the eyes of the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And Isaiah 61, 2 at this point says, and to bring the vengeance of our God. And Jesus conspicuously omits that part. (laughs) Aren't you glad? Because Jesus right now in this age of grace, this dispensation of grace, He, oh, by the way, that day's a-coming, the vengeance of our God. Were y'all here for the decade I preached through the book of Revelation? Were, Were anybody here when we went through that? There was a lot of vengeance, wasn't there? There was a lot of wrath, bowls, and trumpets, and seals, and I mean, the earth shaking as God pours out wrath on the unbelievers. And that day's a coming, but that's not this day right now. Jesus said, to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. You know what that means? That means to proclaim the day of salvation. And then Jesus closed the book. What book was that that he closed? Anybody? The scroll. Who was the author? Isaiah the prophet. He closed it. He gave it back to the attendant, and Jesus sat down. And the eyes of all who were fixed, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Him, and He began to say to them today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your 
hearing. So let's stop right there for just a moment, verses 16 through 21. In a moment, we'll pick up with part two. I've preached this text many times. When I was an evangelist, I used to travel a lot and preach, and man, this was one of my sermons. I love to preach Luke chapter 4 because it's such a fascinating, Christological, prophetic word. Jesus said all those things that Isaiah said the coming of the Messiah would be, I am He. I am the very one who can preach gospel. I'm the one that can take your heart that was shattered and bruised and broken and depleted, and I can massage it. I can can bring the pulsation back. I can bring it back to life. I can set captive people free. And Jesus said, I'll even open blinded eyes. John chapter 9, He did. Congenital blindness, not a problem. Spiritual blindness, not a problem. Jesus said, I have come. And that's usually where I stopped. And this past week in my study, it was like the Spirit of God said, keep going. It's kind of like Paul Harvey. Let's get the rest of the story. In fact, today there are two sermons that Jesus preaches, or maybe it's one sermon and two responses. But in your outline, it says proclamation and response. Proclamation in verses 16 through 21 basically is 18 and 19. Jesus Christ, by the way, Jesus is an amazing preacher. He is the He is the personification of great preaching. Talking about power in the pulpit, man, he he is power. Man, when he preaches, the people said, man, it's like he he preaches with authority. It's like heaven lends its ear. It's like he is imbued with this power. What is it with him? And he's unlike the other guys. The other guys, the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites, they said one thing and did another. But Jesus, his words behavior are commensurate. They, his behavior, his ethics, his orthopraxy backs up his belief in his orthodoxy. And so that's the proclamation, and today we're going to look just for a few minutes at the response of these people as Jesus Christ proclaimed to them that day in the city of Nazareth. When Jesus said in verse 21, today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, there was a holy hush in the synagogue. Now, you got to understand what's going on. They look at Jesus like He is Joseph and Mary's son, okay? There's really nothing that spectacular about Him because He is one of, help me, us, U.S. He is one of us. Very good. He, he's nothing special. I mean, he's just one of us, and so really, he's either deranged, he bumped his head on, on, the, on the synagogue railing when he walked in, or man, he, he stayed up t- too late last night, or maybe he's got some foreign substance in his body. I don't know what Jesus is thinking, but Jesus is out of his mind is what they're thinking, okay? Verse 21, he said, today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, and they said, wow, that's interesting. So all bore witness to him, verse 22, and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Okay, so far so good, but man, everything hinges. This whole passage of Scripture really turns on on its head in verse 22 when they ask this rhetorical question, but wait a minute, is this not Joseph's son? They put a question mark where God put a period. They put a question mark where God put an exclamation point. 
And Jesus, he knew what they were thinking. His, in his omniscience, he says, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself for whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. But let, me, let me stop here for just a minute. It, it's, it's fascinating to me that on the Lord's day when Jesus Christ is preaching, the people don't recognize Him because they're too familiar with Him. The familiarity breeds what? Anybody ever heard that phrase? It breeds contempt. I think that happens every Sunday. I think somehow, some way, we, we lose the reverence and the awe of the greatness and the glory and the grandeur of God. We, we go through the, the motions and everything, as long as it's familiar and as long as everything goes along the way we think it ought to go, then everything's fine. But when Jesus Christ comes in, He messes everything up. He just says, wait a minute, guys, it's about time you realize who I really am. I'm not just Joseph's and Mary's son. I, that's, that's just a very small modicum, a part of who I am. Who I am is I'm the very embodiment, the personification. I am the I am the prophet's prophet. I have come to do all of these things. And, and for those who believe, it's amazing. They experience, watch this, salvation, healing, recovery, and deliverance, if they believe. The title of the message is Belief or Unbelief. Everything hinges on whether we accept Him and believe in Him of who He is, or, or, or we're offended by Him somehow, or, or we just say, but yeah, you're, you're one of, of many. Everything hinges on belief. It's like to believe is the key that opens up all the treasuries of the blessings and the favor of God. Unbelief is like a dam. It's a dam that is Hoover Dam, prodigious, and it is large, and it is magnificent, and, and, and here's the dam of unbelief, here's the water of the flow of the grace and the blessing and the glory of God, and man, when it hits up against man's unbelief, it quenches the Spirit of God. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, the corollary passage, the parallel passage, it says Jesus Christ Himself, He did no mighty work in Nazareth because the people did not. You guessed it, believe. Whatever happened to thou art the potter, I am the clay. Remember that part? Mold me and make me, break me after thy will. Here I am, Lord, yielded and still. One of my favorite scenes in, in the movie, Risen, I have lots of favorite scenes. By the way, I hope you watch this movie. It comes out in a couple of weeks, February 19th. Sony Films, Sony Pictures with the film, a firm film's going to produce this. It's amazing. So you're about to tell me part of the movie? Yeah, I'm about to tell you part of the movie. Spoiler alert. The guy who plays the part of Jesus, uh, Kirk Curtis, I think is his name, he, uh, he took a four-month vow of silence. He did not speak for four months. And when they filmed the movie Risen in Morocco, I believe it was, in Spain, I think it was, Spain, that the people on the set had never heard him speak. And for four months, he would not speak. He just learned his lines. The last scene in the movie is the first scene on production. Now, Gary 
Jones and Doug Sheffield, our, our actors in the house, y'all, y'all understand, y'all know that better than what we would. I think, man, well, surely you just film everything in order. The last scene in the movie is the last film. Set. No, no, it's just the opposite. The first thing they filmed was the most important thing, and there Jesus is. He's sitting there with Clavius or Clavius, however you want to say his name. He's the Roman centurion. And that guy, man, he is good. I wrote his name down. Maybe y'all recognize Joseph. I think it's Fianus or Phoenix or however you say his name. Anyhow, he's good. And by the way, he, Joseph, in real life went to Rome and studied uh, the art of fighting gladiator style so that when the movie is shot, he, he can actually fight like they literally fought back then. He's impressive. I mean, he's He's large and in charge. I mean, he has got the bulging biceps. He, 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 that, that's what I think of centurion. I'm not somebody like me, you know, short, squatty, little thing. No, this guy's, he's large and in charge. And he's sitting there on this rock, and Jesus is sitting beside him, and Jesus asks him this question. He says, Clavius, what do you fear? And this is powerful. And Clavius says, I fear. Well, first of all, in real life, he heard him speak for the first time. So, he, it, you capt- they captured, he's like, I've heard him speak. He said, I fear being wrong for eternity. And Jesus just looks at him and smiles. And then Jesus quotes something Clavius said way earlier in the movie, and he's captured. And what happens is, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Clavius, he believes and the Lord meets him there. And it's this powerful depiction of the essence of belief once we don't believe, and then we believe. Again, I'm amazed at me sometimes. I'm amazed at how my faith reaches into the eternal, but it denies the daily. Anybody else like that? I mean, I struggle with that. I mean, I'm glad I'm not God. God, He just… He could just smite me and say, I've had enough of you, mercy, please. Just come on up here with me. Come on. Come on. That's enough. Because why can't you trust in me? Trust in me. Believe in me. You, you trusted in me for your salvation. You trusted in me for your wife. You trusted in me with your kids. But you can't trust in me for that. Anybody else still deal with that? Thirty years ago, I got married, August the 2nd. He said, wasn't that bad? Why are you crying? No, it was good. It was good. (laughs) August the 10th, after a honeymoon in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, we, Ashley and I, we moved to Texas, and we've never been the same since. We, We came to Texas because Really, that, that's the place you, you needed to be. In the 1980s, that, you need to go to Texas to go to seminary. So we get out here, and I tell you, Brother Andy, we didn't know nobody. We didn't know anybody. We just knew one another, and we knew God was calling us to Texas. And I think Ashley will, will admit with me, I mean, some of our greatest days of our life were those days. So simple. We didn't have nothing. Well, we did. We had roaches in our phone. We, you pick up your phone. Our phone was bugged. Literally, <laughs> bugs come out of there. We lived in seminary housing, and 
And they would come in and, and, and they would defumigate, defog, blow that thing up. And then the roaches would run over to the next person's house because they wouldn't get theirs done. And as soon as they were over, they'd come back to our house. And so we, we just laugh about it. We didn't have anything. And this week I get a text on Monday morning at 7.50. And my son says, Dad, I'm walking into my first seminary class. And it just messed me up. I just got emotional. I got weepy. And I wrote, I think I did, I put this on Facebook, I think I've had more likes, 450-something likes, just on this one quote that I'm so proud of my son. And I was thinking about this message this week, and I was thinking this, little does he know the blessings that are coming. Because when you step out on faith, and you don't have anything, you don't know nobody, but you just know God, and you find out God's enough, whoo, God starts to move. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. So, sermon number one, Jesus says who he is, and they reject him. So, Jesus gets a little irked with them. He said, no, he didn't. No, no, Jesus would never get irked with anybody. Have you read the same Bible I've read? He puts the whammy jammy on some of these scribes and Pharisees. I mean, he pops them verbally. Let's them have it. He's about to let his home folk have it. I mean, he's going to bring it, and they are going to, well, let's see what they do with him, all right? You think they'll rise up and call him blessed, or rise up and lay hands on him, try to kill him? You guessed it. Watch this. Assuredly, I say to you, verse 24, a prophet is accepted everywhere, it seems, but his own country. But I tell you truly, now watch this. This is genius, genius preaching. I got about 10 minutes, so let me, let me go fast. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days, in all the days of Elijah. Y'all know that song? wonder where we got that. We're in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. Jesus knows his Bible. That's 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, 12 through 16. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And they rose up in the synagogue when they heard these things, and they were filled with wrath, and they tried to kill him. You say, what's going on there, Brother Danny? Here's what's going on. Jesus said, you people don't believe me. But I'm telling you, Elijah, when he preached, in three and a half years there was no rain. The place was shriveled up, dried up, and there was one widow inside him. Now, when Jesus said Sidon, Tyre, and Sidon, the people knew in Nazareth, that's the other people, that's the Gentiles. And you guessed it, she was a Gentile. She was one of those. She was not of the royal race of the Jews. She was a, come on, folks, she was like you and me. How many Jews are in the house? I mean, she was a Gentile. And Jesus said, Elijah went to her and said, ma'am, I want you to go and, and prepare me some food. And she looked at Elijah, she said, sir, you don't understand. 
I've got a little bit of oil, I've got a little bit of uh, bread here, and I'm going to prepare a meal, and my son and I, we're going to eat it. She's a widow. My son and I are going to eat it, and then we're going to die. And Elijah was like, but trust me, prepare me some food, and you'll never hunger again. And there she is. She's at that point. That's where some of you are today. You're at that point. You're at, the, you're at the place, the precipice of belief or unbelief. And Jesus is using these two powerful illustrations to show that what this woman did, she couldn't see it, she didn't know it, but she just stepped out and God met her right there. And she never hungered. I mean, her flask was full of oil and they had plenty of bread because she trusted God. And then he says, Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 5, great story. Remember that story of Naaman, the powerful Syrian general? He was eaten up with leprosy, and, 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 and they said, man, there, there's, a, uh, there's a God in Israel, and he has a prophet named Elisha. Why don't you go to him, and maybe he can help you out. So, man, they this royal entourage. They come up to the house of Elisha, and they say, Elisha, help us out here. Our, our Syrian Syria, you know, Syria, where ISIS is, that's that Syria, that very same place. And they said, um, and Elisha says, how can I help you? And uh, the old raw bone Naaman, he says, I've got leprosy. I need you to heal me. Get your God to heal me. And Elisha tested. I love this. I love when God does this. Elisha says, go to the Jordan River and dip your body in there seven times and see what happens. Ooh, man, he was mad. He was hornet fighting yellow jacket waspy mad. He was like, no, no. He says, what's wrong with our rivers? I mean, our rivers in Syria are a whole lot better than that nasty Jordan River. You big numb skuckle. And he just turned and he left. And Elisha just sitting there smiling. That's what God does. God says, trust me. I know it don't make any sense. I know you don't get married and move to Fort Worth, Texas, a barren land. You don't do that and not know anybody. But do it and see what God does. So anyhow, true story. Naaman, he's, he's riding off in his horsey. He's galloping on out of there. And all of a sudden, his, his buddies come up to him. They say, dude, what is your problem? And then they do, they rebuke him. They just kind of slap him out of his unbelief. And they said, had Elisha asked you to do something else, would you have done it? Why, why don't you try it? Man, he's full of leprosy, and he's basically like, well, what have I got to lose except this leprosy? And he went, he dipped down into the Jordan seven times, and I love it, the Bible says, and he came up, and his skin was like a baby's flesh. It was pure, it was clean, it was healed. And Jesus said, basically, he said, you know what those guys have that y'all don't have? They believed. You don't believe me. You don't trust that I am who I say I am. The Gentiles, even they believed. Now, this is where people in church get really mean. Now, by the way, they are in church, they are in the synagogue, and they are filled with rage. Please never underestimate the rage of a churchman, because they can beat the snot out of you. Maybe not physically. I've come twice getting my people laying hands on me, once in my first church and once at this church. Yelp is right. And it's ugly. 
I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing pretty about that. I, I was thinking back in seminary, where's that class where it says, when he's about to hit you, do this. Duck, I guess, duck, you know. Righteous people are filled with pride and arrogance and unbelief. Listen, if they lay hands on Jesus, I ain't got a chance. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. He can't touch this. He ain't going to touch me because my time has not come. Nancy, I think that's what he's saying. You, you can't harm me. And so the Bible says he just walks right past them as the creation tries to lay hold of the Creator. Get your mind around that. How dare him rebuke me? I'm a Jew and applaud those Gentiles over me. In Mark chapter 6, it's the same story. Some, some scholars believe it's the identical scene of Luke 4. Other people believe it's another scene with the same outcome. In, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, they listen to Jesus, they're impressed with Jesus, but then Jesus starts pushing their buttons about being the Son of God, about being the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, and they go, wait a minute, is this not the carpenter? They're starting to question what God put an exclamation point. Watch. Is this not the son of Mary? And his brothers are James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? In other words, keep that verse up there. Keep that verse. In other words, ah, you're nobody. You're just like one of us. And then and the next part really, really gets me. And they were, the Greek word there, offense, is scandalizo. You ever heard that word, scandalizo? Scandal. They were offended at Jesus because they thought they had him figured out. They thought he was just like one of us. They didn't recognize who he really was, and so they were offended, and they were, they were angry, and they were they, they had all this, this rage because God didn't, Jesus, he, he didn't measure up. So they missed him. I don't know about you, but when Jesus comes to church, I don't want to miss him. And I want to see him. I want to believe. I want to trust him. Even when he's in disguise. To believe or not believe that is the question. Some of you today need to believe, trust in God for your eternal salvation. My prayer is in a moment when we stand, and really in just like two minutes, we're going to stand and we're going to sing an invitational song. And the title of the song is, We Believe. And as we sing, those that don't believe, or if you're like me and you would say, I, I, I believe, but help me in my unbelief, then why don't you come? Come to the altar. Come to a pastor, a deacon, a friend. Come to someone and just say, pray with me. I, I need Christ in my life. I, I've missed Him so many times. I missed Him because in my arrogance and in my pride and in my entitlement and in my sense of what God ought to do and what God ought not to do. Listen to this. God rarely consults us for what He's supposed to do, okay? He's just God. He says, trust in me. Trust in me. Others of you, listen, 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 I'm going to close with this, but this is very important. You need to believe 
so that you can help your friend believe. Okay? Like, like the Spirit of God comes and He moves upon us in the altar in the invitation time and you, you go forward and somebody looks at Him and says, He's going forward? Maybe I should go forward. You know, Peyton Manning's 39 years old. Come on now. What, what, what is he doing? And the guy already had surgery, almost broke his neck. He's still playing, Edwin. He's still playing football. I think there are guys like Manning and uh, Handsome Tom, Tom Brady. I think you're going to have to pull them off with the, on a stretcher, especially Brady. And Manning was talking, he was telling the story of in 2000, about that time when he went to the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, they were awful bad. They were bad, bad. Usually if you get the first pick, you go to a bad team, all right? And Peyton Manning goes to this awful team called Indianapolis, and, and the first few years they're just atrocious. It just, you just get beat up, and you lose the first round, you lose, you lose, you lose. Tony Dungy comes in, and he's trying to build the defense, and Peyton Manning's trying to throw touchdown passes, and they just can't get it on. They can't get it together. They try so hard, and they get so close and they lose in the first round. In 2005, they got a pretty good offense, but their defense is awful. They lead the league in awfulness. How about that? They're the worst defense in the whole NFL. But th something began to happen. They believed Dungy. They believed their defense could be better, and they turned into this stalwart, powerful defense. They make it to the AFC Championship game, and they're playing Tom Brady and the New England, help me, Patriots, Russell White, wherever you are, Patriots, Patriots. Okay. And, Tom, and, and Peyton Manning said, I had never prayed for a football game until today. Jeff Saturday, the center, told the team before they went out, they said, this is our time. We are going to win this football game. And they're like, yeah, 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 rah, rah, rah. That's good, Jeff. That's good. That's good. Well, they go out, and Tom Brady, they jump on them 21 to 7. And their heads are down, and they're moping around. And, and Jeff Saturday, he said, I no longer believe my speech. I'm the one that said, we're going to win, and, and I'm telling this is our day. It's our day of destiny, and we're going to win this football game. And he says, they're just putting it on us. They're whipping us, and I'm even thinking, we are not going to win this game. But Tony Dungy would walk up and down the offense and the defense, and he would say, remember what Jeff said, today is our day. Today is the day of destiny. We are going to win this football game. And Peyton Manning said this. He said, I'd never prayed on a football game before then, but I said, Lord, Tom Brady's got three rings. Just give me one. And when Tony Dungy said, I believe, watch this. Peyton Manning said, it made me believe. It made me believe. Some of you guys especially, believe. Believe God. Trust God with your finances. Trust God with your family. Trust God with your faith. Trust God. Trust Him. Trust Him. Believe Him. And watch God meet you, and then watch God bring others alongside of you. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It's, it's life, Lord, to our flesh. It's health to our bones. 
Lord, we pray even now that the Spirit of the living God would move upon us here at Great Hills at this noon hour, at this sacred time. That, Lord, You would come and You would speak, O God, and You would heal us and do all of those things, Jesus, that You said You were capable of doing if we would only believe in You to set us free from the bondages of sin, to open our eyes, to remove the spiritual cataracts, to open the door of our prison, of our cell. God, thank You that what You're about to do is absolutely miraculous. And Lord, we don't want to be like the Nazarenes. We don't want to be like those in Nazareth that day who came so close to God but missed Him because of unbelief. Lord, we, we just want to believe You. We want to trust in You. God, would You move? Lord, we've been praying. We've been seeking Your face. In all the hours, in the days, in the prayers, the fasting, all of this, Lord, it comes to this moment. We, Lord, I can't make anybody do anything, but, but you can. Church family, let, let me share uh, just a prophetic word with you here. I don't mean to mess you up or scare you or anything. I know speaking prophecy stuff scares us as Baptists, but God gave me a word. I'm going to share it with you. During the praise and worship time, I caught myself looking around saying, well, who, who's here? How many people are here? And the Spirit of God said, don't worry about that. Just make sure I'm here. <laughs> he said, don't worry about that. Make sure I'm here. God, I hope you're here. I hope you're working. I hope that people's hearts are moldable and shapeable. Come, Lord Jesus, come and move upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go, Terry. Let's sing it. All right, y'all ready? Y'all stand to your feet. Awesome song.